Southern Songs and Stories is a documentary series on the artists, music, and culture of the South with interviews, songs, a good bit of history, and insights into how all of it fits together. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, inviting you to come explore the music of the South and the artists who make it on Southern Songs and Stories. podcast where we take you beyond the margin behind the scenes of the online magazine and deeper into the stories i'm your host michael shields and today we embark on a musical journey our third episode in a row dedicated to soulful deeply affecting americana rock which pleases me to know and this time we're we are here to shine a light on a remarkable musical duo one that was just named emerging artist of the year 2019 at the Music Association Awards in Nashville, and that is the Warren Treaty, comprised of the husband and wife duo of Michael and Tanya Trotter, who I'm thrilled to be able to share an interview with them in this episode. Michael and Tanya are incredible people, and their story is remarkable. They are both lifelong musicians whose talents seem endless. Tanya's voice is bold, guttural, yet angelic, and Michael touts a once-in-a-generation volcano of voice, and paired together, they fashion themselves a dynamic duo that crafts soulful and powerful music. So I don't want to go any further without playing one of the Warren Treaty's songs to kind of set the tone for the episode. So here's a taste of the title track off their latest album called The Healing Tide, released just last year.
get a better sense of, of their capabilities and their diversity of output, um, let's listen to this. This is called If It's In Your Heart. It's soulful, gospel-inspired music that just truly, truly cuts to the core. Kick me when I'm down 
that's me. To close this episode, I play one more from the Warren Treaty. It's a moving track called Little New Burn, and you're going to want to stick around to hear that. It's so, so gorgeous. And it turns out it's one of Tanya's favorite tracks that she, well, that they have crafted. She explains why and really digs into um, why it means so much to her, and, which is really, really great to hear. Um, I mentioned earlier how Michael and Tanya have a remarkable story and we do discuss the compelling way they meet in the interview and how their love truly fuels their music, fashioning each song so heartfelt and, and passionate. But we also dig into Michael's amazing backstory as an Army veteran who suffers from PTSD after serving in Iraq. While he still unfortunately deals with the try and after effects of that time period, his stint in Iraq ended up serving as encouragement towards pursuing music. The story that, that he tells, is, is it involves a, a captain who championed him. It's, it's, it involves time spent with a piano in one of Saddam's palaces, uh, unbelievably. And also Michael's job in the army, um, crafting songs for uh, fallen soldiers. It's all truly incredible stuff, and we discuss that all and so much more in the interview. But before that, just your episodic reminder that Across the Margin of the Podcast is part of the Osiris Media Group and Podcast Network. Osiris is a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Head over to osirispod.com to learn more and to check out all the podcasts they have to offer. Um, they do have two new ones of note. First is called The Tapes Archive, which uncovers never-before-heard interviews with prominent musicians and comedians. They've already... Uh, I think there's like five episodes out already um, with all kinds of revealing interviews. There's uh, one with Billy Joel, another with George Carl- Carlin. There's one with Trey from Fish, and they're, they're just getting started over here. They're, it's really, really cool stuff. And then they have a new podcast called The Shift List, which is a podcast that goes inside the kitchens of leading chefs to find out what kind of music fuels their shifts in the kitchen and their lives. Definitely check that out. It's really, really cool. So um, here we go. Here is my interview with Michael and Tanya Trotter of the War and Treaty. so much for uh, making the time. I'm thrilled to have you on the program today and talk war and treaty. And uh, congrats on being named Emergent Artist of the Year 2019 at the uh, American Music Association's Awards. That's fantastic. Oh, we, we're so happy about it and coming still on the cloud nine from, <laughs> uh, from that, great, that great day. So we're very fortunate and very grateful. Super, super well-deserved. Um, so Let's start out here. The story of, um, you know, how the Warren Treaty came to be, it's just, it's just so beautiful, really. And, you know, I was wondering if you could let our listeners on um, about this tale some. So to start, I just wanted to ask, how, did, how and when did uh, your two worlds collide? Well, we met, it sounds kind of corny and cheesy every time I tell it. We met <laughs> at a, uh, it's pretty, it's beautiful, I love it. <laughs> it was around, actually, uh, it was in 
it was around this time, 2010, and it was very, very hot outside. It had to be about 90 degrees, and um, I used to do a festival for kids. Giving it was all All of them, yes. Yeah, 2010. Mark was correcting me there. And uh, <laughs> and I would do a festival where I gave out backpacks and school supplies to kids preparing them for the new school year. And Michael was one of the performers that one of my colleagues uh, had booked for the festival. And I saw him perform, and he was incredible. I immediately mm-hmm. ran and bought five or six CDs from the... Um, person that was with him and, you know, proceeded to pass them out on the, on the uh, ground to different people to show them they just had to hear this guy. And I wanted to know him as a person as well. So um, we, we met again and I gave him my phone number and he threw it away. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, yep, and I actually uh, tracked it down and got the number again and, and uh, invited him over in my house and we could talk music and just really, really just fell in love with him as a, as a human being as well. We had so much in common um, as people outside of the music. That's amazing. I can't believe you tried to blow it like that. That's wild. Um, <laughs> individually, you both have really compelling backstories I kind of want to touch on a little bit and, um, you know, leading up to your meeting. And uh, Tanya, you've been singing and enchanted by music nearly your whole life. And I was wondering if you could speak on your upbringing musically, and also um, I read about your zest for writing, so I was wondering if you could talk about that a little. Yeah, I, I started singing um, when I was about eight years old. I remember mm-hmm. my brother, um, he was singing at church one Sunday morning, and the church erupted uh, hearing him sing a song, and I was, you know, there, my feet barely hanging off the pew, and I was just so amazed at how... Um, audience reacted to his songs and people were crying and they were laughing and it was just like so much joy in the room and I remember going home and telling my brother and my mom at the time I said whatever he did to make those people feel like that I want to do the same thing Mm. and my brother uh he went on this campaign for me to uh learn how to sing the right way so he went out and bought the first record I ever bought yes I ever had was Whitney Houston um Oh, I want to dance with somebody. Mm-hmm. And we got that on vinyl. We had the old, the vinyl stereo uh, downstairs and Jennifer Holiday records. And he said, well, when you believe you can start feeling like this, then you can sing. Then you can say you want to do this professionally. So I would do that every day, coming home from school, and he would critique me, and I would enter myself in town shows and all those different things. And from there, I just fell in love with the art form of music. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. That's amazing. It's, um, I think about the first time that I came upon uh, you singing. It was actually in Sister Act 2, where you had that um, uh, uh, amazing um, duet with, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, uh, with Lauren Hill? Yeah, Lauren Hill. Well, I, the, the name escaped yeah. me for a minute. That, that was really, really special. I actually watched that video from time to time. So cool. Um, Michael, can we uh, talk a little bit about your um, kind of backstory? Uh, seems like you had a trying childhood, and eventually you joined the Army, which uh, forever altered your life and actually steered you towards your musical career. Can you can you tell us something about this journey? It's really fascinating. Well, you know, I, I've been walking a long time hmm. on these feet here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I 
I started singing when I was about three years old. Like most black children that grow up in church. Mm-hmm. Always, it's always three years old for whatever reason. <laughs> we all start singing at three. But, uh, <laughs> and my mom, her sisters, and my uncle Delbert, uh, I will always watch them sing. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I tell you, the first time I saw Tiny sing was in Sister Act 2. And when I first saw her, I told my parents that I was going to marry her. No, you're kidding. I sure did. That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. And I'll tell you what. They laughed at me. (laughs) They thought it was funny. Who's laughing now? And I was a little uh, offended, but Mm. it's okay. (laughs) I didn't know why they were laughing that hard. (laughs) Oh, well, they figured you're the type of person who'd throw away uh, her number upon meeting. (laughs) Well, you know, I've had low self-esteem. I had... uh, You know, I joined the army. I, when I joined the army, I was 187 pounds. Oh wow! And then uh, I joined the army to work on my body, mm-hmm. and um, I did. When I got out of the army, I was 398. Oh wow! So uh, I, worked, I worked on it the wrong way, but it happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I was real, uh, real confused um, as to why she was giving me her number. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know how we men we jump conclusions. I'm thinking like, you know, oh snap, she want to marry me, and all she wanted to do was write a song. <laughs> it's absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful, and I understand that that feeling of, of not feeling worthy enough for somebody. That's that's something I can relate to as well. Um, but in the army, I, I I saw that um you know you were in Iraq and. There was actually a piano. You were stationed in one of um, Saddam's palaces, and, and you would play on the piano. And there was a there was one of your um, superiors who was really encouraging you to write and play music, and and that that's that's really amazing. Well, yeah, I have a, a true American story, mm-hmm. um, not just any American story, it's the, the other side of the American story. You know, when you think of our country. Um, for whatever reason, there's so many good things that have happened, but the main thing when you think of our country as it pertains to people that look like Tanya and myself um, is racism. No doubt. But my American story in the military was one of togetherness, unity, and inclusion, and brotherhood. It was a white guy that saw my silent tears. It was a white guy that saw my pain and my fears. It was a white guy that came over to me and suspended color and suspended rank and suspended religion and creed, whatever it was. All he saw was human being. And he wanted me to be at ease. He wanted me to know that I was going to make it home. Little did he and I both know that he wasn't going to make it home. But he was certain and confident that I would make it back. And that's that's the part of the human experience that we fail to acknowledge. How you can believe in someone so much and you believe that, you know, they'll be okay and that they're going to make it home. And, and, and um, I loved him for that and, and God rest his soul. And uh, he led me downstairs to a, a piano owned by Saddam. I learned how to play on that piano out in Iraq, and then I turned my misfortune to fortune by um, writing music and writing songs 
And you know how I was paid? I was paid by the tears and the smiles hmm. and the comforting words of every soldier that heard me play. That's so beautiful. I heard um, that you were actually pulled from the front lines and, uh, and, and you're writing songs for f- fallen soldiers um, for their memorials and such. That's, that's absolutely stunning. I did, man. Um, I had fighting with one six infantry, and they saw something else for me. Mm-hmm. They said, Trotter, your voice brings healing. Your songs, and we want you to uh, write for the memorials of the fallen that we do out here in Iraq. That's going to be a job from now until the time we go home. What a, what a gift to... Uh soldiers and and to their family and to everyone that's that's that really, that really gets me that's amazing um oh to, yeah thank yeah, you yeah uh to circle back just to the war and treaty i um i i believe you guys experienced a big breakout moment um i think it was at the 2017 american music festival and conference in nashville um you where you were filling in um correct me if i'm wrong on any of this but for an ill buddy miller um what happened that night well, um, Buddy got sick, and we had gotten a phone call that uh, beforehand that he wanted us to come and do one or two songs for him during uh, his set. But he got sick, and um, we got a phone call that day saying that Buddy would not be able to make it, and they wanted us to take over his entire time slot. And now we didn't have our band. Uh, we were using Buddy's band, who we'd never met. We actually had never met Buddy Miller until that that the day of our rehearsal with his band. We rehearsed with him for about twenty minutes, and we were scared out of our minds because the time slot that uh, Buddy had was in between the drive-by truckers and the Lumineers, who we who we loved. Two heavy hitters, place, absolutely. Oh my God, the place was jam-packed. With, you know, every writer that writes about. Americana music and any other kind of music was in the building, so we were we were in a state of just shock and panic and anxiety and everything else that you feel in a situation like that. So um, his band ended up learning um, three of our songs, I believe it was three songs, mm-hmm. and we ended up singing three songs with his band, and Buddy came to the rehearsal, and we just was like, what are you doing here? You're sick, you're not supposed to be here. So he ended up picking um, all playing the guitar during one of our songs that evening. And to top that off, um, before we even got on stage, Emmy Lou Harris asked if she could introduce us wow. that evening. So we had a lot of pressure. We didn't want to embarrass Emmy. We didn't want to embarrass <laughs> Buddy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we, uh, we did our best, and it turned out to be a great night, and... Uh, we're very fortunate for that opportunity. That's amazing. So yeah, I want to um, I want to steer towards talking a little bit about Healing Tide, your your last album, and you actually um, you know we're talking about Buddy Miller here. Um, you worked with him on this album. How was it working with Buddy? He's quite a legend. Buddy is a force of nature. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. One thing yeah. when we met <laughs> when we met Emmy, the first thing she said about Buddy, she said, you know, I attend the church of Buddy Miller. <laughs> He's just that kind of human being. I mean, you want to, on top of his extraordinary skill as an as an addition, an accomplished producer, mm-hmm. he's just an incredible human being. Oh, and, cool. you know, they teach you, he, Emmy, you know, that whole class of people 
um, that we've had the opportunity to share time and space with, they've just taught us uh, indirectly and directly just how to be better human beings. I mean, when, when you when you leave them, you just want to be better. You know, yeah. their presence, you just want to be better. Yeah, that's so it was phenomenal. I mean, he brought in top-notch producers, mm-hmm. like, um, musicians for those sessions, and it was just incredible. Yeah. Well, what came out of it was incredible, too, the, the Healing Tide special. Thank you. I was wondering if you could speak a little about um, the themes present in the album. Because, um, I mean, it's really, it's so inspiring, and and it seems like it's overtly steeped in uh, your love, which is which is pretty gorgeous. What is yeah. what is the Healing Tide, tide about to you? Well, we, Michael and I were both, we were both kind of trying to on this. Healing Tide for me, at that time, my mom, I was just coming out of... Um, Burying my mom, she, she passed away just a year before we started recording Healing Tide, and I really was in a space where I was mourning just terribly at the time. So the record itself was just like therapy for me. You know, every song, um, every opportunity that we had to play those songs together, it, it drew Michael and I closer because, you know, it says birth draws you closer, so does death, mm-hmm. you know? It brings out sure. the different... Um, parts of you that you didn't even know were there, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think when people hear the record, A Healing Tide, they're actually experiencing what um, we were experiencing, not just me individually from my mom's passing, but us as a couple. You know, we had found out maybe three years before recording that uh, Michael had PTSD. So as a family, you know, you're constantly going through those ups and downs of PTSD and navigating your system as a family, you know, mm-hmm. how to make it work. And um, and you're always healing. So that I think when people hear the record, they hear the healing and they feel the love because it takes love to get to a, a, a sacred place of healing. Absolutely, Michael. You got anything to say about that as well? Um, healing side of the record is just an honest body of work, really um, written for humanity, really wanting us all to to understand and look better and stronger together than apart. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of unity. Like I said, there's a lot of love in there. And it feels like even, especially the title track, there's kind of like this challenge to be part of the solution. It's, I don't know, there's there's a lot of inspiring themes in it, which are great. One of the songs, and you were mentioning uh, family, Tanya, uh, that really cuts me to the core is the closing track, Little New Burn. And um, am I correct? Yes. That's about your grandparents' grand, uh, home? Yeah, it's about my grandparents' home. Um, my family's still there, all my aunties and uncles and my cousins have migrated back down there from, you know, when they left off to go to college and raise their family. So it's a very special place for me. You know, I went there every summer with my grandparents who, up until they died, were married for 73 years. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting here with my, my daughter and Michael counting my first cousins because it's so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like summer camp for us. We thought it was summer camp, but I always tell the story that my grandfather was just using us all as, uh, as free labor for that farm down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's a very special place um, where I, I learned love and I learned freedom, how to be free and how to just have a good time and, and what family was all about. So yeah. it's a very special place. It really feels like it's uh, kind of like your happy place and thoughts of that kind of, you know, sustain that happy moment was beautiful. Um, I want to discuss one more track and that's, Jeep Cherokee Laredo, and uh, 
I read about, um, Michael, you were talking about how this song means a great deal to you as it kind of expresses the story of your love with Tanya and kind of how you thought you'd never love again at one point. Um, what's this song mean to you? Oh, it means everything. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah, I love this song, Keep Jerry to Laredo, and we have a little story about that song, the reason why it was written, and a lot of people don't, don't know. Um, and it has nothing to do with what they might be insinuating. <laughs> But um, we were broken down on I-95. It was storming, raining outside, and my son was just jumping all around the car. And instead of people helping us, they were blowing at us to get a room. <laughs> I, was, I, would have got, we, I was thinking it was about something yeah. completely else. You're right. Yeah, it just happened. We had a deep. Finally, someone came and helped us, and uh, we were able to go ahead and, uh, and get a song out of it. Yeah, it's a special song at that too. Um, so I gotta ask, um, what is uh, what's next for the Warren Treaty? I am hearing rumors of a possible fall album release. Is that the case? Oh yeah, we got uh, we're working on our next record, and we go into uh, start pre-production next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm very excited for y'all to get this new body of work. Oh, fantastic! So it is this fall. That's great. And so um, I'm assuming that might. And I guess I'm hoping here um, follow with a tour because I mean you guys are incredible live performance to see. Is he gonna, gonna hit the road again? Oh wow, you'll be ready. All right, <laughs> so are we. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you both so much for the time. I mean, um, and for your music and spirit, what you guys create is really so inspiring and affecting. And it's really it's an honor for me to spread the word here. So thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for your time, and we appreciate it so much. And- for your listeners to listen to the interview. Thank you. Absolutely. Great. Thanks again. There's a house in my dreams
Osiris. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.